all of you that know know us know we have six kids. We had four. We had three girls and a boy. And we wanted one more boy, but that last pregnancy was kind of hard on Angie, so we didn't we didn't really want her getting pregnant again, so we started looking at our options. Well, anyway, we found out about this brother and sister lived out at the children's home in Lubbock, and uh, um, we couldn't adopt them, but it looked like that their parents would never get them back, so it wouldn't be one of this where they put them with you, take them away, put them with you. It wouldn't be one of those kind of things. Anyway, we ended up with Robert and Elizabeth, and there was one time, of course, when you do- uh, foster care children, the state won't let you uh, whip them. And so you got to find other forms of punishment. And one time, Angie called the children's home. She said, y'all can come get Robert because I'm fixing to whip him. <laughs> and they said, well, if you do, we'll have to write you up and put it in your file. She said, that's okay, but I'm fixing to whip him. <laughs> and she whipped him, and she never heard from him. <laughs> Because they understood that sometimes that's what a kid needs. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about discipline, but more specifically, I want to talk about the three levels of maturity that you find in the Bible. Now, you can't find, turn the Bible and find where it lists the three, three levels of maturity. You kind of got to do a little detective work yourself. So let's start in Romans chapter 13. In Romans 13, Paul is talking about the, the powers that be ordained of God. In Romans 13 and verse 1, he says, Let every subject, or let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on God. In other words, what he's saying here, God has put governments down here to take care of us, to rule over us, and when we disobey the governments, we're disobeying God. He explains, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now here's the verse I want us to notice. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. He's explained here that God has put the governments over us to, to keep a check on evil and protect good. And he says that we need to obey every ordinance of man. He said we need to, or, or yeah, of man. One of the reasons is for wrath's sake, so we don't get in trouble. He says here that the government does not bear the sword in vain. I can remember when I was younger, I used to think that uh, that Christians couldn't fight in war and that capital punishment... Well, I had my doubts about capital punishment. I remember arguing with Jerry McCorkle about this. And he, he explained this verse to me. I said, I said, but you can threaten someone with a sword. You don't have to use it on them. And Jerry said, if you threaten them and never use it... the it's not going to be a threat anymore. It says here he does not have uh, what's to say does not wield the sword in vain. In other words, if he's got to use it, the Roman Empire needed to execute somebody. They were going to do it. Have you ever seen a mom in a grocery store? And I don't mean to step on any toes. Quit that! If you don't quit that, I'm going to whip you. If you don't quit that, I'm going to whip you. One, two, three. Give me that. And the kid never gets any punishment, and he knows he's not going to do it, and that's why it goes on. 
But on the other hand, have you ever seen a kid do something? Bam! They put it down. <laughs> That's the end of that. So one of the levels of maturity is when we're at a level where what we're afraid of is getting in trouble. And that could be physical punishment like a whipping or something, or it could be getting thrown in jail or getting a fine or getting fired, whatever. But we're afraid of some physical consequences for our action. But then Paul here mentions another thing. He said not only for wrath's sake, he must obey, uh, be subject, but also for conscience sake. When a kid's growing up, about all they understand is physical punishment. But there comes a time when maybe mom's not looking and they've got the opportunity to get the cookie or not get the cookie and they don't because they know they shouldn't. So the second level of maturity is conscience sake. The third level of maturity that we find is found over in 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. Here he's talking about the same thing that Paul was talking about in Romans. He's talking about obeying the government. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So you can obey the law for one of three reasons. One, you don't want to get a traffic ticket. Two, you say, oh, I could never do that. And three, you know that God is watching. And you know that God has said, be subject to every ordinance of man. You're out in the country. There's no one around. There's a stop sign. You stop anyway. You could have run it. The law wouldn't have done anything. Your conscience may have allowed you, but the Bible says obey every ordinance of man. You have the option of cheating on your taxes, but you go ahead and do the right thing anyway. For the Lord's sake. You know He's watching. And so that's what I want to talk about for a little while is the three levels of maturity and how it applies to us, how it applies to raising kids, and then kind of in a general sense, how it applies to the congregation. In, uh, of course, we read in Romans 13 and verse 5, it says that we should obey the government for wrath's sake. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 13, Solomon warns us, he says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. A lot of people don't like uh, whipping children. A lot of people will tell you that's wrong. I saw an Oprah Winfrey show one time where she used the word spank and beat interchangeably. We don't do that. We'll spank our kids, but we won't beat them. There's a difference. But some people think that any kind of spanking, any kind of uh, corporal punishment is beating, and that's not true. Solomon warns here, he says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, we're talking about physical punishment here. We're not talking about time out or standing in a corner. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. I remember one time when our kids were little, we were outside Plainview and we drove past a big old prison that was lit up at nighttime. I told the kids, I said, there's a bunch of people in there that never learned how to take care of themselves. Some people never get past that first stage. The only thing they understand is force. They're going to go out, they're going to rob stores, they're going to do drugs, they're going to beat their wife, they're going to do whatever they feel like doing, and their conscience will allow them to do it. And the only thing that's going to stop them is some kind of force. Or the threat of force. A policeman walks by, a policeman sticks a gun in their stomach. Some people never get past that. And in, in, uh, sometimes we want to say, you know, contrary to what we read in Romans 13, oh, I, don't, I think the death penalty is wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
you know what? Not everyone's like you and me. Hopefully you are at level two and three, but some people are still down there at level one. They break into your house at night, and they're going to tie you up and do bad things to you and your family and then kill you. There's only one thing that's going to stop them, and it's not their conscience. And it's not God. It's the threat of force. That is the very lowest form of maturity, if you can even call it maturity. But going back to whipping kids, you know, even, are you as smart as a cow? Of course you are. You're way smarter than a cow. Even a cow, when he bumps up against that hot wire and gets shocked, thinks, I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) And so that pain keeps that cow where he's supposed to be. He doesn't want to touch that wire again. When you slam your hand in a a car door or a a door at the house, what's the thing that goes through your mind? I'm not going to do that again. And that's what a little kid thinks. Even little bitty kids. A swat, a thump, even when they can't reason and say, I'm not going to do that again, they learn the consequences. A dog, a cat, they know what pain is. And even a dumb animal understands pain. Pain is a natural teacher. Why do you not have scars and burns all over your body? Because when you were little, you touched something tight. Oh, I'm not going to do that again. You stub your toe. Oh, I'm not going to do that again. You kick your... I'm not going to do that again. And so we don't do those things very often. We learn the hard way. Pain is a natural teacher. And we should accept that and not fight against it. It's just one of the rules of nature. Going back, you know, talking about that first level of maturity, Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Bring up a child in the way that he is, should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, if these kids are not disciplined when they're little, they're not punished, they won't depart from that. If, if all they understand is protecting themselves from pain, then when they get older, that's their maturity level. Like I talked about, the guy goes out and does whatever he wants. The only thing he understands is pain and wrath. You, you don't take care of a kid. You know, we read Proverbs 23. said, you shall deliver his soul from hell. If you can get that kid past that first level of maturity, then he'll be at that level of maturity the rest of his life probably. If you never get him past that first level, that's why we have so many criminals. He, they, they just will not depart from it. You read about someone that gets out of prison after 15 years, and the next week, they kill or rape or rob a store. Prison didn't teach them anything because their parents didn't teach them anything. Um, I talked about foster caring. When you foster care, they make you do some training, and every year you got some uh, continuing education. And I forgot most of it, but the one thing that stuck in my mind is I remember where I was, and I remember hearing this. They, whoever they is, believe that a child learns half of everything he'll know by the age of 10, 15, 20, 2. By the age of 2, a child has learned half of everything he'll ever know. And it's hard to measure that, but you stop and think about that. You know, I took five years of French and two years of German, and I've been learning Spanish forever. You take a three-year-old kid that grew up in Germany or France or Mexico, and they can speak it way better than me. By the age of two or three, a kid is fluent in a language. He's learned the basic uh, laws of physics, you know, dropping a surf from a high chair and watching how gravity works. He's learned the basic ideas of math, addition and subtraction. If I share my candy with you, then I've got less. 
A kid uh, has developed his personality. He's learned human interaction. He's learned how to react with his parents and his brother and sister and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And a kid learned... Oh, they say not only does he learn half of everything by the age of two, he learns another 25% by the age of five. There have been... Uh, I can't remember who it was, Stalin or Lenin or somebody, said something about, give me a kid to the age of five and he'll be a communist all his life. I've heard that the Catholic Church has said that, give us a kid till he's five and he'll be a Catholic all his life. Solomon said, train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So whether or not that's exactly measurable, we know that that's pretty much true. You know, talking about the people in prison that just never learned how to take care of themselves. Proverbs 19 and verse 18 says, Chasing your son while there is hope. Laura's told us, you know, she's taken a lot of food nutrition classes and human development. And she's told us that as the brain matures, there are certain stages where a kid's mind is ready to learn certain things. And that's why most kids start learning to walk at the same age or crawl at the same age. They learn to talk at the same age. They start writing at the same age. Because at certain times, your mind is ready for certain things. But Laura's also told us that if the kids don't learn that when their mind is ready for it they'll never learn it or they won't learn it very well i heard uh, about a kid i think they called him the bird boy i can't i didn't because i was talking to some uh, speech therapists at the hospital i used to work at and they talk, told me about a kid that had been found when he was maybe five or six and for some reason they called him the bird boy maybe he's kept in a cage i don't remember but they rescued him when he was five or six and got him into a good home. But he couldn't talk. And he never learned to talk. When his mind was ready to learn, he was not taught. When a kid's mind is ready to learn about discipline and he's not taught, he'll probably never learn. The second stage of maturity as a person or as a Christian is for conscience sake. You know, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 talks about baptism as the answer of a good conscience. You want to do what's right. You learn about God and you learn that He's righteous and that I'm sinful. I want to take care of that sin. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. Uh, Romans uh, 6 and verse 17 also talks about obeying from the conscience. Uh, Ephesians, I think, chapter 6 talks about being a good good worker says doing from the heart a good conscience and we all want a good conscience and most of us have it there's only one drawback to your conscience being your guide and that is that your conscience is only as good as it's been trained Paul said brother in Romans chapter 10 I think he said brother my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal towards God they want to serve God but Paul said they have a zeal towards God but not according to knowledge you know before Paul was converted he went out and uh, uh, he got letters from the authorities and he would go into towns and he would have Christians arrested he would have them thrown in jail and beaten and executed and I guess tortured and tried to get them to blaspheme God say that Jesus was not the son of God 
But Paul was able to say later after his conversion, I have, he said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, how can you go out and kill a Christian and say, my conscience is clear? You know how Paul could say that? Because he thought he was doing what God wanted. He was not going against what he thought God wanted. Now, he was. Because like he said about the Jews, it wasn't according to knowledge. But all his life, he did what he thought God wanted him to do. You can turn over, I think it's Deuteronomy. I can't remember. I've got it written down. And there's like a whole chapter where it tells what the Jews are supposed to do with false teachers. And Paul thought that Jesus was a false teacher. He thought the Christians were following a false teacher. And he was simply doing what God said in Deuteronomy, not realizing that the law had changed and that Jesus was the Son of God. He said, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And so our conscience is a good guide only so far as... uh, as our conscience has been trained. So the third level is for the Lord's sake. We do it because it's the right thing. And that's where we want our kids to get. And that's one of the advantages that Christian parents have. A non-Christian parent, all they can do is say, you better do what I said. If you don't do what's right, they'll throw you in jail. But what after that? Does that mean that the kid can do anything he wants as long as his parents don't see and as long as the police don't find out and he doesn't get thrown in jail? Do you have co-workers like that? People that stab you in the back, cheat and lie and try to walk on other people's backs to get ahead? You know why? Their conscience allows them to do that. There you are trying to be a good worker and trying to do the right thing, and you've got a co-worker who will do anything he can to get the promotion, even if it's wrong. His conscience will allow him to do that. We don't like working with people like that. We don't like having teenage kids that are out sneaking around doing things that they shouldn't do when we can't or just don't find out about it. How much do you like working with someone like that? How much do you think God likes having that kind of Christian? The Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And then do what? Glorify God. Now, if we claim to be a Christian, and we're going out on weekends, or going to Las Vegas, you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and we're doing things we shouldn't do, Are we really glorifying God? Of course we're not. So, we all want to get up, and God wants us to, and we want our children to. People that have their own business and have employees want their employees to get up to that third level where they do it because it's the right thing. Whether or not the IRS finds out, whether the policeman sees them, whether their parents find out, They still do the right thing. Now, we can be really good in one area. We can be really good in another area. We can be really good in another area as a Christian. And we can be at that first level as a Christian, and yet 
be at the third level as a Christian. Here's two kinds of tests that the Christian can apply to themselves. The first is this statement with two blanks. You fill in the blank. Oh, I would never fill in the blank. I would never cuss. I could never kill anybody. I could never cheat on my wife. I would never cheat on my taxes. But I fill in the blank. Remember a couple weeks ago, Ty was here. And he gave a lesson. He said this lesson was inspired by a young woman in the church that came up to him and was dating a guy who was not a member of the church. And she said, she was all excited. She said, told Ty, she said, I finally convinced him about this doctrine. But they were living together. I, I would never miss a church service. If the doors are open, I'm going to be in church. But I'm living with my girlfriend. I would never cheat my wife. But I cheat on taxes. I could never, never kill anybody. I, I could never kill anybody. But I tell you who I hate. God wants us to be at this top level in all areas of our life, but unfortunately, we're not. The other question or test that a Christian can apply to themselves is what do we do when no one will find out? I told someone one time, I said, you need to quit worrying about so much about looking and worry more about being. In other words, don't worry about, don't be concerned about looking like a good person. You actually need to be concerned with being a good person. In the news, I think it's the California... Attorney General he just got arrested for something really bad. You can look it up on the news and find out. There's a difference between persona and character. Persona is what everyone thinks of you, the way you act in public. Character is how your wife and children know that you are, or maybe how your wife and children don't know you are. What you do when no one will find out. And, of course, we want to be at that level for the Lord's sake. I'm never going to get in trouble here. No one's ever going to find out. But God doesn't want me to do that. We want to get up to that third level. So we can be mature in one area and immature in another. And we don't want to do that. Um, one of the things I've learned in playing a musical instrument, and I guess this applies to any skill, golf or or whatever it is that you do. Used to, I would want to learn a song, and so I would learn it, and I would be going, and there's this one part that always was just harder than the rest of it, and I would mess up. My timing was off, or I couldn't hit it all the notes. It was kind of muffled. And I've since learned that what you do is, if you take the song and you play through it at a slow speed, or golf, or baseball, or basketball, or whatever it is that you do, you go through and you find that one spot that's giving you trouble, and you work on it. Because what happens if you don't stop and work on it, what happens is you're playing this song, and you go along, and you get this part where you mess up. But you, then you get to the easy part, and you're doing good. And you keep going through this song over and over and over. 
And you get better, and you get better, and you get better. But the problem is, you're playing through this song, and you're way better than you were a year or two ago. And you're playing this song, and you get that one spot, and you mess up again. And you get back up, and then you're doing good. What you want to do, what they tell you to do, is take that one spot in the song, one measure or two measures, and you just practice that slowly, so you can get it just right. And you practice it over and over and over. I read an article recently about a mom whose son played cello and he was trying out for the Juilliard School of Music. And in this article, something that jumped out at me, she mentioned practicing the same three notes for an hour. (laughs) Three notes for an hour? I don't even practice a whole song for an hour. But you know what? If that's giving you trouble and you don't stop and work on it, it's always going to be a problem. I've heard it said that music, you should make your weak point your strong point. Get that weak point so good that when you're playing along in that song and you hit it, you nail it every time and never mess up. And so if a Christian, if we're good in this area, in this area, in this area, and we're really bad at this area, and good in this, don't pat ourselves on the back because I hadn't missed a church service in 27 years. Find that spot. I mean, that's good. But find that spot and work on it, concentrate on it, and bring it up to this level too. So we don't bring shame to God's church and to our fellow Christians. So as Christians, we need to find that spot or spots and work on those. Don't ignore them. Get them up here so it's not a problem anymore. What about when it comes to raising children? We've already talked a little bit about that. But it seems to me, not being an expert, which may be a good thing, because experts are wrong a lot of times, kids go through different stages. And we already talked about age two and age five and, and the different ages where they're ready to learn to speak and to write and stuff like that. But it seems like there's three, maybe four other stages that they go through. And from age... One to five, and of course they overlap. Something I may say about this age may also apply to this age over here. But from age one to five, those are kind of the discipline years. And that's when you spank them and get swats and stand in the corner and stuff like that. Because that's all they understand. Have you ever seen a, a and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, have you ever seen a mom or dad in a grocery store and got a little, maybe a one-year-old or one and a half that can't even talk yet? And, and they certainly can't reason very well. And you say, now, if you don't quit crying, I'm not going to do this. I'm like, that kid doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. And even if he does, kids' attention span, they can't, you know, a two-year-old doesn't say, I need to start saving now so I can go to good college. They can't see that far in advance. Sometimes kids can't see five minutes in advance. You swat them, they understand that. So the early years, wherever it cuts off, are the discipline years. That's when you need to teach them manners and what's acceptable, what's not, right and wrong, punishment, doing right. And then from, let's just say, 5 to 12, those are maybe the conscience years. We're teaching them to manage themselves. Where mom doesn't always have to be there to swatch you. Where they go to school and they still tell the teacher, yes ma'am or no ma'am. They don't need mom 
correcting them every time. They've learned to do that on their own. They learn to not hit. They, they do what's right just because they know it's right. And then you've got, let's say, the teenage years, where now you're teaching them to apply what hopefully we've already taught them. Now, you hear parents sometimes say, I've got a kid that's 13, I've got a kid that's 17, I can't do a thing with them. They sneak out at night, they get drunk, and they're doing this and they're doing that. What can you tell them? I mean, you can give them some advice, but if they didn't learn to respect their parents, if they didn't learn to respect the rules, if they didn't learn that at an early age, it's probably too late. They're probably going to be going out and getting drunk every weekend for the rest of their life. But if, if we've done our job correctly, then hopefully when they get in those teenage years, when they get their first job, when they can drive, when they're out dating, when they go see movies, they're buying their own books, listening to their own music, hopefully now, these are the application years where you say, well, what would you think if everybody at church found out you went and saw that movie? What do you think God does thinks about that? If you do this, um, will you have enough money to get your first car? And so hopefully we've already taught them right and wrong and thou shall not kill and steal and all this stuff. Now we're getting them to think and apply these principles to real life. I remember a guy in the church, his kids were up almost old enough to get married and he still would not allow them to have a Facebook account. And I realize that Facebook can be a good thing or a bad thing however you use it. But you know, if you won't let them have a Facebook account or go on a date or whatever you want to allow them to do until they're out of the house, they may go crazy. You hear about kids going to college and binge drinking and all sorts of bad things happening in college. Kids, why? Because now they're out from underneath mom and dad's thumb. Mom and dad aren't seeing and maybe these things are legal. And now they're getting all, in all sorts of trouble. The, the later years of childhood or the application years. Well, if you do this, do you think that you'll really be able to get a good job? Do you think your girlfriend really wants to date someone that, that does this? Those are the application years. And so, if we ignore you know, the discipline at an early age and try to do it at a later age, if we're trying to, to reason with them when they're too young, those things don't work. We kind of got to follow that that wrath and conscience and the Lord's sake uh, timeline. And of course, that's what we want in the church for all the members. Oh, and the fourth stage I left out with, uh, with raising kids, it'd be age 20 and beyond, I guess. In Titus, Paul tells Titus to teach the, young, the older women to teach the younger women and the older men to teach the younger men. These are what we could call the wisdom years. We kind of know how to get along on a job and do right, and you know, you're a good husband or a good wife or whatever, but now you call your mom or your dad or someone in the church, you say, man, I'm really having trouble with this. And they can say, you know what? Me and my wife had the same problem. And we found out, and here's how we handled it. Or you can say, you know, I, I know a guy in the church that went through the same thing, and he did this. Those are the wisdom years. You start facing bigger problems rather than getting in a good college or breaking up with your girlfriend. You face bigger problems 
But there's still someone out there that's smarter than you, that's older, that's done the same thing, and they can help you through these things. And then, like I was talking about in the church, uh, the leaders in the church don't need to micromanage. Uh, we've all worked, I guess we've all worked for bosses, or you know, some of us have been dads like this, where we were just trying to be involved in every detail of our kids' lives or our wives' lives. We should want Christians to get up to that third level. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. To edify means to build up, to make better, to strengthen. We're supposed to edify our fellow Christians. In 1 Corinthians 14, we're talking about the worship service. He talks about doing things that cause confusion versus doing things in order. He said, let all things be done to edification. When people leave the church, they need to be better people because of the songs we sang and, and the preaching, whatever. We should seek to edify our fellow Christians, to get them up to this third, third level. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, uh, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but exhorting one another. Not condemning, not pointing fingers, not gossiping, not you know stabbing in the back. Exhorting, helping our fellow Christians to be better. Get them up to this third level. Well, do you really think that's a good idea? Nah, maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. So with ourselves, we should be trying to get up to this third level, especially those where we're really weak. With our children, we should be getting them up to this third level. And with our fellow Christians, we should be exhorting them to be this kind of person. Let your light so shine before God that they may see your... Or, let your light so shine for the world that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. So I hope that explaining these three levels, they're found in Romans 13, 5, and then 1 Peter 2, 13, I think, the three levels. Kind of look at your life as, uh, you know, after you've heard this lesson, and think about it and think about those areas where you can really do a little bit better. And then uh, maybe that will help out with raising children and everything. Uh, we always offer a song of invitation. You know, you don't have... To come forward. In fact, I would prefer that you didn't. If you want to, that's good. But if you need to make a change, you don't have to come up and tell me about it. You don't have to tell your wife. You can just sit there and think. I really need to fix that. That has been on my conscience for a long time. I really need to stop that or I really need to start doing this you can sit there without looking at anybody without confessing to anybody which is a good thing though you can just sit there and you can just make up your mind I'm going to do what's right so as we sing this song rather than a song of invitation I like to call it a song of encouragement think about your life the things we've talked about or think about things that have been on your mind recently if you need to make a change Make that decision while we sing this song.